Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest. And then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have. So let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Before we jump into what you can expect on today's episode, just a reminder to please take a second to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're listening from. I'd really appreciate it, and that way you'll never miss an episode. So what are we getting into today? Kayla Schneeweiss-Keen is the administrator at Man Cataract Surgery Center, and she's here to talk to us about how we can use technology to improve patient outcomes. Kayla won the ASC Innovations Award at the Texas ASC Society show this year after implementing groundbreaking tech at her surgery center. So she has a really cool story to share with us and lots of tips. In the news recap, we'll cover more cybersecurity attacks, patients being charged for my chart messages, the pros and cons of pre-filled syringes, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about medical drones that are saving lives. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what you can expect on This Week in Surgery Centers. Kayla, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your facility at a high level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a, f- a few facilities here um, in Houston. One's up in North in Humble. One's here in the museum district. We're building another one in Sugarland. Um, the one I'm standing in now, we just moved in in April, this past April. We were across the street uh, starting in 2007, and we just built this beautiful brand new building and moved in this past April. Fantastic. And, and I understand that congr- congratulations are in order. Uh, because, you know, at this year's Texas ASC conference, you actually won the ASC Innovations Award, um, specifically yes. specifically for implementing the, the Zeiss Artivo microscope. Did I get that right in terms of pronunciation? Correct. Awesome. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that, uh, that microscope, that, that technology decision and how that came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The microscope is a 3D technology. It's uh, put up on a 55-inch screen TV and 4K monitor. Um, It has a heads-up display for uh, marking torque lens alignment. And um, it's one of the the highest tech ophthalmology microscopes that, that we've seen. Um, it also hooks up to the, the IOL master that's done in the practice, which is a, t- a piece of testing that's done for the patients over in the practice. So it links that information over to us, which actually helps a lot of communication. Um, and it's really good for ergonomics. Our doctors, I think, initially wanted, wanted to purchase it because, I mean, years and years of microscope use, you have this forward head tilt looking into oculars and it does a number on on the back of the neck. So the doctors were really intrigued with being able to sit up ergonomically correct and do cataract surgery. So that's, that's super interesting. And, And that's where I want, that's what I was curious about is, hey, this is a big expensive piece of technology you know, what, what was kind of the, the major problem or opportunity? And so it did seem like, uh, you know, doctor health, doctor ease of use, um, economics were a piece of it. 
What, what about kind of patient outcomes? Did that, did that factor in as, as part of the decision-making process here? Um, it does have a measure visual field for the doctors. Um, I mean, they, they already had, we had a Zeiss microscope beforehand, but it wasn't the Artivo. They already had a 3D view of it. Um, they were able to get a, a bigger picture of it because you now have this big 55-inch screen TV and right in front of you. Um, but it's also was very intriguing for the nursing staff to now see what the doctor sees and that we'll all put on 3D, uh, 3D glasses. And it, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal what you see on that big 55-inch screen TV. It, it's, a, it's hard to explain, but it's really cool to see it. Got it. And so who, who's in charge of a, a process like this? Maybe in, in terms of kind of the idea generation, who, who surfaced this you know, idea or concept of, hey, we should be looking at, at upgrading our microscope? Yeah, our, our doctors, um, particularly our owners, are very much into staying ahead of the game in technology. They want to be um, world-class tech, uh, technology center. And so they saw it and wanted to demo it. We brought it in and we demoed it. We had most of our surgeons um, demo it and give their opinion. That's one of the things that our that our owners is successful at. They they valued the opinion of the other surgeons, the non-owners as well. Um, so they demoed it. They liked it, um, and it was also an easier decision because we we knew we were building this building. And our previous microscope that we were currently using in the old building, it was about 15 years old. So we knew we were having to buy a new microscope anyway. And so that decision was kind of easy to make since we're moving into the new building. Mm, that, yeah. So, so the new facility needing to make a capital investment anyway, it was really kind of a question of mm-hmm. and those wh- which version. Were old anyway. it, was, it was just that time was perfect timing. Got really. it. So you've got physician owners that are staying on top of the technology trends um, that are advocating for this, which is great. And you mentioned the other stakeholders in the process, you know, as part of the demos and, and then so forth. What what other stakeholders were important to, to bring on board to make a make a major purchase like this? Um. I mean, they got all the surgeons opinions in in the in the collective group to be able to purchase it so i mean when you're talking about big stakeholders that was it yeah um when you're talking about profit margin um it was something that we could market right um patients always like to see that you have the the top technology so that was that was helpful and to be able to market on our on our website got it so so the idea was hey this could this could be helpful for case volume and this could be helpful for kind of brand reputation as well in the marketplace. Yeah, pretty much. Brand Excellent. reputation. Good way to put it. Excellent. And so, you know, it seems like there's a lot of buy-in around this. Any, any dissenting opinions, whether from physicians or for uh, clinical staff or others? Um, the cost was, was pretty pricey. <laughs> other, other than that, um, no, I think all the staff, uh, initially liked it because um, they were. It was a wow factor at first. Certainly, something that we we've never seen before, and we weren't able to look in the surgeon's microscope because even the the assistant microscope is not 3D. Um, and I'm a backup scrub tech, so when when I'm looking in there, I don't even see what the surgeons are seeing. So it was a real treat actually to see it. 
Cool. So the staff staff loved it. More more bells and whistles. Um, there there's a cost factor that came into play, which which owners are always going to think about. Was there any uh, you know revenue kind of justification or new case justification that that was required you know to get over those cost objections, or was it really just the the view and belief of the physicians? The view and belief of the physicians that they knew that they wanted it, they believed it was going to help them out in the long run for for their aspects. So it was it was really them. Fantastic, and and what what feedback have you gotten from uh, patients? Um, you know what what have you seen in terms of case volumes? What what output has there been around this decision and implementation? <laughs> Um, from from the marketing standpoint, I think um, patients are intrigued that we have the, the one of the best technologies from the microscope standpoint. Um, feedback from the from the staff uh, again, that was a wow factor. They all like it. They like they like looking at at the screen and see what seeing what's going on with the case because when you see what's going on with the case, you can kind of help the surgeon anticipate the next step. Yep, great. Um, and so I know, I know that technology is important and uh, carefully regarded at your facilities. And so I want to kind of zoom out for a second and, and talk about technology more broadly and kind of break it down across the patient experience. Uh, so pre-surgery across the man facilities, have you seen technology uh, that, that's been helpful before patients even step foot in the facility from a pre-surgery perspective? Yes, absolutely. And just to hit on the the other previous question, um, how do, how do we get everybody's buy-in? It was also a decision that, well, I I, I would suggest that when when making a decision to purchase equipment, to also not only get your non-owner surgeons input in, but also your scrub tech's opinions and your nurses' opinions, because sometimes they can see it from a different point of view, from like a flow perspective, and they can they can see whether or not this new technology or new way of doing things is going to add on five minutes to a case, right? And so if you if you have 40 cases in a day and each of those add five minutes onto it, that's a big deal. So you want to be able to to get opinions from others, not only just your owners. Absolutely. The, the owners can see a benefit, but you got to operationally work through the, the users, right? To understand like, hey, what are the real operational repercussions or benefits going to be? That makes, makes total sense. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And from a pre-op perspective, um, pre-surgery, um, one of the biggest implementations that we have we did a few years ago that was a, a big hit was a pre-screening patient portal for our patients. They would patients were able to go in and fill out their their medical history and their medication list. Um, this was huge because we we service the geri- geriatric population, and on average, most of our calls took a nurse 20 minutes each. So if you can imagine just one day, you have 40 patients in one day, even 30 patients in one day, and each of those calls takes 20 minutes, your staff is all tied up making phone calls, right? Wow. So yeah. the, patient, the patient portal that we, we got also had texting service. Um, and so when we're talking about a pre-screening patient portal, this is very good for, for high volume centers um, because of this reason. I mean, so we have on average 70% usage, our patients, 70% of our patients use use it. 
And so it saves us about 18 hours of nurse time per week, which is almost a half of an FTE and around about $2,500 to $3,000 a month. So it adds up and it pays for itself. And, and, and that's fantastic. And that's, that's great to see that there, you, you guys kind of quantified the time savings and the benefit and, and half of an FTE in a week. Did that result in you um, needing to hire less you know, nursing staff or, or did you repurpose that time allocation? Um, yes, around, around about that way. So um, before the patient portal, we were um, pretty much bringing a PRN into the facility on a weekly basis, almost daily, just to do the pre-op phone calls. And then after the, after the pre-screening patient portal was brought in, we didn't have to bring that person in. So it, it actually might have been might have saved us more than a half of an FTE. Um, but looking at our numbers from a quantitative standpoint, it looked like it was total half T per yeah. week. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a great savings. And you you mentioned that there was an opt-in rate of around 70%, which sounds pretty good. Did you get 70% right off the bat or did you have to work up to that? We, we worked up to that. We were actually really nervous about it because, I mean, of course, we're, we're working with a geriatric population and they're not technology savvy, right? And yeah. you need a computer to be able to um, fill in all these questions. Um, so we started out probably with 55, 60% um, implementation uh, usage rate. And we actually got our practice involved with this. So when the counselors were talking to the uh, patients, they were mentioning they were giving them a sheet of paper or a card saying, hey, go, on, go online and pre-register for your, your surgery. And so that helped a lot. And that brought, brought our average up to 65 to 70%. Got it. So it was really the counselors on the front end of the process saying, here's the, here's the next step. Here, here's the link. Absolutely. Um, and, if, and if we didn't get it in time, that texting service that came with it, we were able to just to text the patient and send them a reminder, say, hey, just a reminder, go, go in and uh, fill out your patient portal for us. I love that. And then if patients show up without uh, doing the pre-screening online, would you do it there at the facility? We do. We have we have a handful of patients per week show up um, without pre-doing it. So we have really, uh, we bring them into pre-op area. We have a, a computer right there and they'll sit down there with their family member and fill it out. Love it. So both are options, but over time through best practices and tips and tricks, you're being able to tick up the percentage that, that fill it out online before they come. Which Absolutely. Is fantastic. I mean, it's better for the patient as well. From the patient standpoint, there it's less wait time for them because I mean, sometimes they're, they're taking 30 minutes to fill it out. Right. And when they've already had it complete, they have a, a faster flow in the back. Nobody likes to grab the pencil and the clipboard and fill those things out at, at the day of. So <laughs> sounds like not. a win all the way around. So, so that's the pre-op side. What about day of surgery? Uh, we talked about the, 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 mi the microscope, which is a big one. Any other technology or software that you found to be helpful um, from a day yeah. of surgery perspective? So we, we have a lot of changes this year, not only just opening a new center, but we also implemented a new EMR this year. Mm. Um, so that, that alone saved our front desk time from uh, chart prepping. It saved them probably six to eight hours of chart prepping. Uh, per week. Um, from a cost standpoint, that was that was great. And then, and then from a patient standpoint, it's it, they can come in and um, check in at the front desk quicker than than before with paper. Um, we're also implementing prepayments. We haven't started it yet, but um, 
the, the theory behind it is, I mean, if you think about it, when patients come in, one of the most stressful things that one of the most stressful, I mean, they're already stressed out from surgery, right? Yeah. But they're also stressed out for payments. I mean, that's a good chunk of change that they're about to, to give up. Sure. So it's stressful, right? It's a stressful thing. So if we can take that one stress off the patient and, and get collect prepayments, by the time they get to the, the surgery center a couple of days later, then that one stress, that'll be one less stress for them. And then it's, it's help improving the patient experience, honestly. That's yeah. what we're going with it. Got it. Got it. So EHR and prepayments. I want to ask you a follow-up about each of those. On the EHR side, you mentioned it, it saves six to eight hours per week in terms of chart prep. Did I get did I get that Five right? Correct. Fantastic. And what what specific pieces of the chart prep? Is it the hey, we're not having to enter in information twice? Is it is it make it easier to to actually go in and you know get get you know you're not having to physically kind of put the charts in different places like what oh, about yeah. the chart prep is most helpful? Well, when we were on paper, they would print out packets right of the whole chart, and they yep. would have to flap stickers, patient information stickers on every single one of those paper pieces of paper. And if you imagine, there's probably about thirteen or fourteen sheets of paper her chart and so they're slapping on stickers i mean that that was that took like a lot of just busy work time just slapping on stickers to a patient chart yep when and, especially when you you have a busy 30 40 case day sure and so that's 68 hours does that help the nursing staff you know, do more cases spend more time with patients sp- spend more it time on work. lunch breaks how, how did they repurpose that, those time savings <laughs> It helps our front desk be able to to focus more on the patient and and be able to do other tasks. Got it. That's great. Okay, and, and that's the EHR side, and then the the prepayment side. You, you mentioned there's the benefit to patients. There's the benefit probably from a time savings again of not spending much time kind of registering a patient on Correct. the front on the front end. Um, what percentage do you expect will kind of pay prepay versus time of service? Hmm. We're hoping hundred <laughs> percent, but um, I think we would be happy with uh, about 70%. Wow. 70% is fantastic. And again, are you planning on using kind of the texting and some of the reminders that you guys have done and, you know, part of the pre-screening process there? We're not quite sure yet. And um, we're kind of in the, the pre-planning phase of this. Awesome. So we haven't really implemented it yet. We'll have to check check back in with you and and uh, see how it goes on on the prepayment side, but definitely yeah. see the benefits there. Um, what about post surgery, Kayla? What what technology have you seen from a post surgery perspective? You know that that benefits the center, that benefits patients. <laughs> yep, yep. I also hit on. Um, I'll go back just real quick and hit on one other technology that we have during surgery, and um, so. Here at, at Man Eye Center, we have um, laser cataract surgery. Um, and this is a huge benefit, not only for the patients, but for the surgeons as well. Um, so laser cataract surgery, um, what it does, it makes a three, perfect 360 degree circle in the capsulotomy of the, of the patient's eye, which is the bag that the patient's cataract or lens sits in. Um, and the doctor has to get into the bag to be able to remo- remove the lens. Well, if once Once you create a 
perfect 360 degree circle, it helps um, the lens. Once you once you in, in, uh, insert the artificial lens, it helps it center it, um, which gives the patient a better outcome. Not only that, it, it also fragments the lens. So um, for cataracts, we grade them from difficulty. A one plus is kind of a soft cataract and a four plus is kind of a hard cataract. We can turn a four plus cataract into a two plus cataract with this laser. And what that does, it makes it easier for the surgeon to extract the cataract. And it also makes it um, the recovery time better for the patient because when the cataract is softer, it's less um, vibration in the eye from the um, fake machine that we're taking out the cataract with, which means less uh, inflammation for the patient's eye, better recovery so the patient sees better faster. Wow, fantastic. Sounds like a great, great clinical benefit there. Huge. Cool. Um, from and, a, yeah, if we from move on to the post-surgery side, I, I, anything there that's been uh, implemented or you guys have seen success with it, man? Um, I would say, again, the, the patient portal. Um, so the, the patient portal also provides um, post-op reminders for the patients. Um, that also allows them to stay in touch with the surgeon's office in case they have questions, um, which uh, we've found is has been a benefit instead of having the patient call a call center and, and be hung up on the, on the line or waiting in line to get in touch with somebody. It's been helpful. Fantastic. And do you, do you guys have to spend much time on, you mentioned prepayments. Do you have to spend much time on postpayments? No, so um, we collect um, upfront. Hundred um, percent of the time. We don't allow patients to go back without collecting. <laughs> seems like a good seems like a good policy. I've certainly talked to other centers that don't always get it or don't don't get the full amount of time of service and have to spend you know a lot of times on the on the back end doing the calls and leaving the voicemails. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's hard enough um, to get collecting payments from the insurance, um, let alone patients. So it's it's a definitely and absolute good policy to have is to collect payment upfront. Love it. Okay. So final question for you here, Kayla, and we do this with all of our guests. What is one thing that our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery center? Hmm. I would say patient experience um, because patient experience, I mean, this can, <laughs> this can go in multiple different directions, uh, but when you have, when your patient experiences a really good surgical day, they're going to go out and tell their friends and that's word of mouth, right? That's going to bring more patients into your facility. Um, I truly believe word of mouth is probably your best marketing, uh, your marketing strategy for any center. Um, not only this, your patient experience is going to stem from your surgeon leadership. Um, so from a surgeon standpoint, no matter if they want to be a leader or not, when they slap that MD mm. on that behind their name, they're automatically a leader. And so that it's huge for surgeons to understand that if, if they're good leaders to their staff, their staff are going to have a, a more um, positive day and they're going to give the patients a more positive experience as well. So it's kind of like a snowball effect. Love it. And I've, I've seen studies to that effect in other industries as well, where it's like, hey, the, the happier a business's employees or staff are, there's yes. actually a proven correlation many times to kind of the happier the, the customers are. So that, that makes total yes. that makes total sense. And I, I love Absolutely. 
leading from the top advice there. So that's a great one. (laughs) Kayla, thanks so much um, for being on this week. This is a great episode and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. Two weeks ago, we shared a story about an ASC that fell victim to a cyber attack. Continuing with that topic, in this article by Healthcare Dive, they're sharing even more insights around cyber attacks. And perhaps the most alarming statistic is this one. 89% of healthcare organizations surveyed experienced at least one cyber attack in the last 12 months. So I just wanted to share three important call-outs and reminders from this story. There are four primary types of cyber attacks. We have cloud compromise, ransomware, supply chain compromise, and business email compromise. Out of those who cited a ransomware attack, 67% reported an impact to patient care, and 24% reported a rise in mortality rates, which is extremely concerning. The second reminder, as we likely head into a recession and you try to find new ways to tighten the purse strings, experts are concerned that healthcare orgs will cut cybersecurity budgets first. So I know it can be tempting, but it is just not worth the risk. Some health systems report having to spend up to $100 million just to recover from a successful attack. So don't roll the dice. And lastly, just because your ASC might be small compared to large hospitals or other healthcare systems, it doesn't mean you will fly under the radar. It's actually the exact opposite. Attacks on smaller organizations are on the rise because it's assumed that they have their guards down and less security measures in place. So I hate to start this off all doom and gloom, but the data is telling us now that now is the time to be more vigilant than ever when it comes to your cybersecurity. This next story is interesting and causing quite the debate. Should patients be charged for sending my chart messages? Within the last few months, a few different hospitals have actually started billing patients for some types of messages sent over this patient portal. Examples of those they're charging for would be inquiries about new symptoms, medication adjustments, new prescriptions, And really anything that requires extensive time reviewing a patient's medical history before they can give a response. Um, The plan is that the fee will actually be billed to the patient's insurance insurance company with out-of-pocket costs for people on Medicare ranging from about $3 to $10. And then the cost for patients without insurance will be a flat rate of $35. Um, To put it in perspective, Northwestern Medicine in Chicago said that over the course of three months, they only charged for less than 1% of my chart messages. So it's obviously not a big chunk at all. Um, But as you can imagine, patient rights advocates are not happy about this. And they say it's just another way for healthcare to nickel and dime patients. Um, For ASCs specifically who are considering implementing a patient portal in 2023 or already have one, or even for those who have two-way patient texting exchanges, it's just something to remain aware of. In theory, we wouldn't find ourselves in this situation and would actually invite the two-way patient dialogue and patient inquiries to ensure better outcomes. Um, But I am really curious to hear how you feel about this. Is it fair to charge in order to protect the doctor's time? Or does it feel 
kind of morally icky to discourage patients from reaching out in a manner that we built for them to do exactly that. So please share your thoughts on HSC Pathways LinkedIn post. I would love to hear them. Our third story today is from Outpatient Surgery Magazine, and it's all about pre-filled syringes. It's my understanding that these syringes are more common in the hospital space than ASCs right now, but perhaps that will start to change. Some of the benefits shared um, were superior safety, reduced errors, reduced infections, significant time savings, and reduced waste. The only real con that was shared in the article was cost. Um, And a recent study is trying to counteract that argument of cost. They found that the use of manufacturer-prepared, pre-filled, ready-to-administer syringes can actually reduce healthcare costs by decreasing errors compared with the traditional vial and syringe method. Specifically, the study found that manufacturer-prepared, pre-filled, RTA syringes were associated with an estimated savings of roughly $182 per administration with a 94% reduction in errors. Now, this was just one study, so take it for what it is, but the numbers are certainly eye-catching considering we're always trying to reduce spend. In talking with some of my colleagues, I don't have a clinical background, so I needed to kind of ask some other people who do what they thought about this, and they agreed with the benefits previously stated, but also shared an additional concern that diversion prevention would need to be top of mind as well and keeping those large orders secure. So again, please join us in this discussion on HST Pathways LinkedIn post. I would love to know if this is something your ASC would try or have tried in an effort to keep patients safe and costs low. And to end our new segment on a positive note, medical drones are saving lives and coming to a sky near you. England's National Health Service has started delivering chemotherapy drugs to the Isle of Wight via drones. By car and ferry, it takes four hours to deliver them, but by drone, it only takes 30 minutes. And for life-saving drugs that have a short shelf life, that's a huge win. It not only saves time, but it also saves fuel and money and reduces carbon emissions. Um, Two other examples. In Africa, drones have been used to reach remote communities, delivering vaccines for malaria, tuberculosis, and polio. And in Sweden, drones are being um, used to bring defibrillators to patients who are actively experiencing cardiac arrest and beating the ambulances to the scene. So I know drones have raised some privacy concerns since their inception, but when used properly in these scenarios, they've really done some incredible, incredible work and have saved lives. So we love to see any new technology, any new innovation. So this is a really cool story. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again next week.